You're listening to the 2019 Central Texas Men's Conference. More information is available at centraltexasmc.com. Here's Ben Stewart. All right. Thanks, brother. Howdy! Yeah, I'm going to keep that going. That's awesome. Uh, Let me read to you a verse out of Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Uh, I'm going to jump in quick because of time, but let me read Mark 6.30, and we'll pray and then jump in. Uh, And it says this, the apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and they taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place or the wilderness and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in a boat to a desolate place, to a wilderness by themselves. Let me pray for us. God, thank you for this weekend for us to draw away with you. And I pray, Father, that more than anything else, you would use all of this as means to the great end of us knowing you. And so to that end, I pray for these few minutes right now. Give us clear eyes to see what it is you think about. Give us a heart that feels what you care about and align our lives with you, God. And I just want to ask you guys, if you're willing, take a minute and pray and ask him uh, to teach us this morning. Well, Father, we love you and we trust you. Use this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when I was in college, a buddy of mine and I climbed Long's Peak. Uh, It's the tallest mountain in the Rockies. And when we started, we were feeling pretty good, optimistic. We were passing weaker hikers, leaping from boulder to boulder, traversing snow-covered ledges and nothing but sweatpants, T-shirt, and some Timberlands. And on we were going up this mountain until suddenly we began to feel weak, and we began to feel nauseous, and we began to feel drained. And finally, at one moment, the two of us just collapsed on the mountain. And something felt very wrong, and it was a bit scary. And I remember that moment, we were kind of out of options as we looked out over this mountain range. One of us got the idea to pray, and I don't remember who said it, but I just remember the first words of the prayer was, Oh God, we are so stupid. <laughs> because we were up there, and we, we just did not have the resources to get down. And as we were praying that, you know, I'm thinking, how long does it take to file the missing persons? Can they get a helicopter up here? And while we're thinking that... We see this old man turn the corner and walk up to us. And he was like, hey, guys. He's like, have you all been to the top? And then he goes, wait a second. You're the college guys who came up here without equipment. He said, we're in awe of you guys. You're crazy. And then he started saying something about God protecting the ignorant. I don't know. I wasn't really paying attention. <laughs> but then he's asking, have you been to the top? And we're like, no, man. He's like, you got to go. And, and I was like, man, I just um, we're ruined, man. Like, we can't literally take another step and I remember he looked at us and our hands were frozen covered in snow and he gave us these amazing they were mittens but that's not the right word because they came up to like here and they strapped on it was like oh yes and our hands are warming up and I remember as they were doing that he looked at us and he goes well first off boys you're breathing wrong we're like what he said you're breathing wrong and we're like now I think we got the breathing thing figured out like I've been doing that since I was a baby you know And he said, not up here you have it. He said, you need to understand the atmosphere's changed. So you have to adapt if you want to survive. Now, why mention that? Because 
I would say the tr- same thing is true of all of us at a social level. There are forces in the atmosphere around us. You can't see them, but they affect you. We, at a societal level, there are forces around us culturally that are just like the air you breathe. And they shape the way you see God, the way you see yourself, and the way you treat other people. But they're just part of the air we breathe, and they're affecting us. And particularly, there have been shifts in our culture over the last 10 years as it relates to technology, and it's affecting us and our vibrancy, particularly the youngest among us. And so we need to talk about that if we're going to walk well into what God has for us. And so I want to talk with a little time we have this morning about your relationship with technology. I want to talk about your relationship with your phone. Now, as soon as I say that, let me say, this is not a guilt trip because it's the craziest thing. Whenever I say that to someone, Hey, let's talk about your relationship with your phone. It's like, you see them go, Hmm. I'm like, what? All I said was phone. And they just see this wave of shame hit them. So I'm not here to shame you at all. Right. Uh, that's not my goal. What I want to do is give us information for informed decisions. Now, I think the fact that we all feel bad about it shows that we're not comfortable with our relationship with technology, but here's the reality. Forces have been changing so rapidly. We just have to get our heads around what's been happening to us, particularly as men in the last 10 years, because things have moved quickly. I mean, you think about it, the internet was not available to, for public use until the late 90s, okay? Uh, so if you're 25 years old in this room, when the year you were born, there were 600 websites total in the universe. Not a lot of browsing happening in the 90s, right? You get, some of you are like, I hit 600 websites a day. I know. You could have wrapped up in a day in the 90s and been good, right? That was it. But then things began to change rapidly. So we got any 23-year-olds in the room? Anybody 23 in the room? Okay, like two. Oh, there we go. Three. All right, all right. So when you were born, laptops first became a thing. And it was mind-blowing. You're like, you mean I can carry my computer with me? You're like, yes, it weighs 50 pounds, but technically, yes, you can, right? Any 22-year-olds in the room? 22. All right. Email was invented the year you were born. Uh, I remember it, that people were like, wait a second, I type something on my computer and it goes through space to my friend over there. And you're like, it sure does. Unbelievable, right? (laughs) Any 21-year-olds in here? Okay. The Nintendo 64 came out when you were born. That really has nothing to do with the points I'm trying to make. I just thought that was kind of interesting. Any 20-year-olds? Yeah, okay. Google was invented the same year you were. Yeah. But I want you to think about that. Before you arrived on the planet, no human being ever Googled, right? Like if someone said that to you the year before you were born, it would sound inappropriate. Like, no, we don't do that in my family. I was raised better than that. Like it wasn't even a thing, right? And then it began to move fast. Facebook in 2004, YouTube in 2005, Twitter in 2006, Instagram in 2010, Snapchat 2011. The word selfie was invented in 2013. The first iPhone came out in 2007. So think about that. It's not even quite 12 years yet, right? And with it came the whole concept of carrying the World Wide Web around with you at all times. That's a relatively new experience in the human story, just 10 years. But now the vast majority of Americans say they feel panic without it. Think about that. Didn't exist 10 years ago. 
Now people feel panicked without it. You ever left your phone at home? Realized it in the car? Ah! It's terrifying, isn't it? You're like, I'm, I'm just out here. I don't know where I'm going. I don't know what my friends are eating. It's stressful, right? <laughs> what is normal now didn't exist five years ago. It's fascinating. I, I remember first teaching this to a group of college students, and I said, imagine not having to manage your whole presentation to the world on social media. And, and I thought, I didn't know what they would say. You know what they did? They started applauding. And I didn't expect that. That there's an increasing level of anxiety experienced by young people, record levels, and it's because of this whole world that was handed to them when they were babies that they don't have the resources to handle. And the, the, the idea of having relief from it elicited applause. And when they did that, I looked at them and I was like, I want you to know that experience you're talking about of not having a social media to keep up with, that's how the majority of humanity has lived always. This is a new thing. Dimitri Christakis said it this way, who studies media and children. She said, we are in the midst of a large, uncontrolled experiment on the next generation. We don't even know exactly what we're doing. And data is just coming out. Now, is this the point where I trash technology? Say, so that's why we're all going to have a bonfire out back and we're going to burn our phones, right? And we're all going to learn how to churn butter, at a, you know, later on today and, you know, sew our own clothes and move to Montana. Is that what I'm about to say? No, there's obvious upsides, right? I don't miss paper maps. I don't. Don't they fish them out of the glove box? I don't miss it. I don't miss blockbuster video. I know that's controversial to some people. I don't, Right? There's obvious upsides, like information. I can know immediately about a crisis on the other side of the world. And then there's connection, and I can do something about it. A missionary across the globe can take me on a a tour of their apartment while I pray for them. That is unbelievable and wasn't available just a few years ago. The information and connection is incredible, but with it has come problems because that endless stream of information can be tapped into anywhere. It is now into our lives at every moment, right? Because the internet can be accessed anywhere, it's invaded our lives everywhere. Because you can get it at any moment, it has now invaded every moment. So here's my point. I'm not all that concerned about you always having access to the internet. But I am very concerned about it always having access to you. Because the data is coming out that it's not good for us in human flourishing. It comes at a cost. It's cost us an intelligence. There was a study coming out of Europe just recently that the average IQ in Western nations has dropped by a staggering 14 points since the early 1900s. That's problematic, right? Microsoft did a study of Canadians and found that the average human attention span in 2000 was 12 seconds, but in 2013, it was 8 seconds. That's less than the attention span of a goldfish. Satya Nutella, who led this study, said, we're moving from a world where computing power was scarce to a place where it is now almost limitless. The true scarce commodity is human attention. That this constant connection has left us disconnected. It's disconnected us from the world around us. That the average American now spends seven and a half hours looking at a screen. Young Americans, nine hours. Now, 
some, I remember the first time I heard that, I'm like, that can't be right. And then I started adding up my time in front of a TV, my uh, computer, laptop, phone, and I got to that easy. So I'm not shaming you for that, but I just had to ask myself the question, do I want that to be true of me? Memory works in flashes, right? And do I want my children's flashes of their childhood to be pictures of their dad looking at a phone, choosing this world over theirs? I don't want that to be true of me. The average gamer in America is 21, or 31, excuse me. It's not teenagers, right? It's adults, right? Um, and it's having an effect on teenagers. It's fascinating that Gene Twenge is a psychologist at San Diego State University, and studying high school students, the number of high school students that get together physically with their friends from 2000 to 2015 dropped 40%. The Atlantic just had an article out called The Sexual Recession, and uh, all these different studies in multiple countries are seeing that we as a humanity, so it's multinational, are having less sex than ever before since that's been recorded. And they were wondering why, and do you know why? They have seen a direct correlation now between the introduction of broadband internet into a nation and a drop in birth rate. And it's true in marriages and outside of marriages that people talk less, they communicate less, they date less, they marry less, they have sex less. Why? Because we are just with each other less. Why? Because we're here. Because we're here, right? Children now do less homework than they did in the 90s and less of them have jobs. Less of them are employed. So they do less schoolwork after school and they have less jobs than ever before. It's in high school kids. So what are they doing with all that time? It's all spent on phones. Right? And you're seeing a shocking increase in depression and lack of sleep among young people. Harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. It's not good for us. Loneliness is at epidemic proportions in the United States. It's really bad in D.C. that people feel isolated. A recent finding, CBS reported on it, that half of Americans say they have a meaningful in-person social react interaction on a daily basis. Only half of Americans say, I have a meaningful, personal interaction with a human being on a daily basis. Half of us say we don't, but we interact with screens every day, right? And I could go on and on about the decrease in social skill I watched happen among young people, the increase of flakiness. It's easy to break a commitment when you don't have to look at somebody's face, engage their reaction. The loss of civility, because we can be cruel to each other. If I don't have to watch it hurt you, I can just say something mean on Twitter and feel good about it, not knowing that that's a human being on the other side. There's some real bad societal things, but one of the things that concerns me the most is not just that it disconnects us from others, it disconnects us from ourselves. Think about it. Before the cell phone... You had moments alone, laying in bed before you drifted off to sleep, first thing in the morning, sitting at a stoplight. What was in that moment? In the past, it was just you and God. And so what happened in those moments were prayers and reflection. And reflection about your life leads to insight, and insight leads to innovation. You would make positive changes as you reflect on your decisions. But now that reflection is gone because of the constant connection. Now it's not me and God processing my life. It's me and my phone in a world of distraction, right? How many billions of prayers have been lost just in those little moments that our phone is there and God is no longer, right? We're disconnected from ourselves and disconnected from God. Here's the crazy thing. When Jesus started his ministry, one of his first sermons, he stepped out in front of a crowd of people. And I love the way he did it. He just walked out and just jumped into a story. He's like, it's a farmer. 
threw some seeds out. Right? Some seeds landed on a road, birds ate it. Some seeds landed in some shallow soil, sun scorched it. Some seeds landed and started to grow. Weeds choked it. Other weeds or seeds fell down, grew into crops. And then he said, if you have ears, you should be listening. <laughs> then he left. Imagine if I did that. You'd be like, okay. So it says his disciples came to him later and were like, hey man, that sermon, awesome. Dude, so powerful. Um, yeah, so uh, the part about the soils, uh, what? <laughs> and he said, to you, the secrets of the kingdom are about to be given. Why? Because they're so brilliant? No, they weren't. They were uneducated men because you pressed in and didn't walk away. And he told him about the different soils. Some of them, you have such a hard heart that when the word of God, like a seed, is dropped into the soil of your heart, the devil snatches it immediately. Some of us, it begins to take root, but as soon as a little bit of persecution comes, you shrivel like a plant. But then he says, others, and this is my concern today, he said, others, when the seed of the word of God is planted in your soul, it begins to grow. It begins to come something new. He says, but then weeds come up and choke it. And listen to what he calls the weeds. He says, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desire for other things chokes the word. It makes it unfruitful. Some of you have been to so many things like this and have never seen the fruit of the word of God in your life. Why? Because in those secret moments, a desire for other things, that's just it, just things, chokes out the word of God and makes it unfruitful. One of the greatest tools of the enemy in your life and mine is not some dramatic sin. It's the subtle squeeze of momentary desires that lets me choose distraction over real intimacy with God, right? So what do we do? Well, why do we do it? Let me just talk about that for a second. Why do we do this? You got to look at it and say, it's like an addiction. Why do we do it? Well, why do people get addicted to alcohol? It's not because they're like, just beer is so tasty that you don't become an alcoholic that way. You become an alcoholic. Why? Because you are saying, I'm trying to avoid some painful thoughts. I'm trying to numb some difficult thinking. it's It's a distraction and an avoidance is why you do it. And it's the same with phones. We go for validation and distraction, not for information. We do it. I've done that. I remember I showed up at a football game once uh, early, which I never do. And I showed up without my friends, which I never do. So I was at an Aggie game, big crowds of people, and I'm there by myself. And so instantly, without even thinking, I just pull out my phone and I'm doing this. And then I was like, what am I looking for? And I just paused to think about it. I'm like, I'm not looking for any information. I'm where I'm supposed to be to meet my friends. I know what time it is. I'm literally not looking for information. And I'm like, then why did I just do that? And I had to think about it. And I was like, I did it for comfort. I did it to escape the discomfort of just standing there by myself. I mean, imagine if you did that just in a mall or something, you're just standing there, not looking at your phone. People would be like, what a psycho. You know, you're like, Hey guys, like, It's like, no, if you're alone, phone. Like, that's what we do. But it's not for information. It's for comfort. Judd Apatow, producer of such hits as Anchorman, Talladega Nights, was in an interview. And he said, I have to constantly be online. And he asked him why. And he said, because if I'm left alone with my thoughts too long, I start realizing how meaningless much of what I do is. And it's too stressful for me. So I have to distract myself. And I thought, that's such a tragedy, man. One, that's great self-awareness. But two, that pain is meant to take you to a remedy. 
And you're missing that important step. And for many of us, if we're honest, the way we go online, the way we surf around for entertainment, the way we click on another show and another show and another show, is just to block out some difficult realities about our life we don't want to deal with. But we're not meant to go to phones for that. We're meant to go to God with that, right? To the remedy. The pain is meant to lead you to the great physician, right? So what do we do? Let me say a couple things real fast. The first thing is, I would say we need to embrace salvation, not validation. For so many of us, we go to our phones to feel good about ourselves, to be connected to some community or something. And the reality is what we need is the Lord. Uh, Hosea in the Old Testament, God told him, marry an unfaithful woman, Gomer. And he said, because I want you to be a picture of what it's like for me to love my people. And so Hosea married Gomer. And what happens? She's at home and she realizes, I want to buzz. I want to hit. I want to do something exciting. She didn't have a phone or the internet to look up illicit crazy stuff. So she went to the city. Because in the city, you could have all kinds of crazy sexual experiences, all kinds of crazy, just different information coming at you, all kinds of different stimulants. And she just went for it. And she went after it. And the text says that she, the mother played the whore. She was conceived and acted shamefully. She said, I'm going after my lovers who gave me my bread, my water, my wool, my flax, my oil, my drink. She said, I am going to have the experiences that give me a little dopamine hit. That'll be fun. I'm going for it. And what she didn't realize at the time, and what we often don't realize, is we go to these things to click in order to get something, but it ends up taking more than it gives. And so after a while, after she is completely dove into that world, what happens to her? She's used up, cast aside, and when Hosea finds her again, she's on a slave block, stripped naked, and she can't even get the going rate for a slave. And God at that moment says to Hosea, buy her, full price. And he said, because it's a picture of me. My people have run to so many things to find acceptance, validation, fun, a little hit, and it's leaving them empty. And he says, but I don't want to come to shame you. I want to come to you at your worst, and I want to buy you. And I want to pay full price. And I love what he says in Hosea 2. He says, behold, I will allure her and bring her to the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her her vineyards and make the valley of a core that is the valley of trouble, a door of hope. And there she shall answer as in the days of her youth as at the time when she came out of the land of Egypt. And in that day declares the Lord, you'll call me my husband and you will not call me my Baal or my master. I will make you lie down in safety. He says, I'm going to pull her out of all that crazy stimulation, not to shame her, not to say, how dare you? He said, I'm going to bring her into the wilderness and I'm going to speak tenderly to her. And then I'm going to give her vineyards. I'm going to make what was a place of pain a place of life for her. And she's not going to call me my master. I have to obey. I'm going to be like a husband who takes care of you. And that's what he wants to do with us. Some of you have been going to the internet to, to process the pain of a sexually broken past or to go for validation because you didn't get it from your dad. And so many of us are going to a screen for deep soul needs and it won't meet it. It'll actually take more than it gives. And God's not here to shame you. He's here to allure you and speak tenderly to you and make a place of trouble into a valley of hope. That's what he does. So what you need is to come to him and just admit, I need you and I've been running, right? Uh, That's the first step. I go for salvation to the Lord, not to a screen. And sometimes it's as simple and stark and ugly as that. But here's what's interesting. Do you notice when God does that, he calls her to the wilderness. Why does he call her to the wilderness? Because there's no people out there. There's less distractions. He calls her out there so he can have her attention. And if you read the Bible, 
God is always doing that. Whenever he wants to call a man and use his life greatly, he leads him out into the wild places so he can get their attention. He calls Abraham out into the desert or the wilderness, and he says, walk with me. He did it with Jacob. He did it with Moses. He did it with the nation of Israel. He did it with David. He did it with Hosea. He did it with Jesus. Why? So that when I get out in the wilderness, you can focus on me because speed is the enemy of depth. And some of us are like a speedboat. We've been going so fast, we're starting to pop on the water, right? And we need to slow down. And what God will do is say, hey, periodically, I want you to exit the crazy and be still with me. We need to pursue restoration, not just distraction. That's the other thing. Some of us need to come to Jesus for the first time. Others of us, you already know him and say, you know what? But I go to the internet for rest. I go to distract myself from the pain of the world. But I need to go to life-giving restoration, not just distraction. That's what Jesus did. That he would often, Mark chapter 1, verse 35, he was ministering so hard, it said he didn't even have time to sleep. But in Mark 1, 35, the next verse, it says, but early in the morning while it was still dark, he got up, left the house, went to a secluded place and was praying there. As his ministry blew up, Luke 5 says news about him was spreading. Large crowds were gathering to hear him and to be healing. But Jesus would often slip away to the wilderness to pray. Jesus had a rhythm. I go into the craziness of life and I dive fully in and then I exit to the wilderness and I sit quietly with God. And if you read through the gospels, he's always doing that movement. I will enter the crazy, but then I'll step out of it and sit quietly with the Lord. And we need a rhythm like that. Michael Phelps was one of the greatest athletes that ever lived. You know, it's like, I don't even know how many gold medals he got, like a million or something. It was something insane. And yet... What, he got busted doing drugs? And you're like, what are you doing that for? Almost killed himself driving drunk. And you're like, wait a second, dude, you're like one of the most successful men of all time. Why are you self-destructive? And finally, he got to a point where his friends are worried he's going to kill himself. And so they checked him into rehab. And when he was in rehab, they interviewed him. And he said, you know what? I got away from all the crazy stuff I was doing. He said, and I just had a chance to be still. And in that stillness, I realized I had a pain from my father not being there. And I was trying to fill it with success. And when I wore all those gold medals, they didn't fill it. And so then I just started filling it with with darkness. And I couldn't fill it either. And he said, so I started to go crazy. And they pulled me away here and they sat me silently down and I read The Purpose Driven Life and he began to put his faith in God and to trust God and to walk with God and begin to live out the 23rd Psalm where when you walk with God, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside cool waters. He restores my soul. If your life never has soul restoring rest, then God's not your shepherd. When God is shepherding you, he will lead you into crazy seasons. He will, but then he'll always lead you beside cool waters to restore your soul, to give you places that have rest with no sorrow added to them. And we need to cultivate that. That's what Jesus did for us. So pick your moments. For some of you, it may be in your car. You say, in my car, I'm going to turn the radio off, put the phone down, and that's going to be when I pray. That's going to be when I talk to God is in the car. I had a high school student that he just decided, I've never read the whole Bible, and he had a real trouble reading. So he would just listen to the Bible in his car, listen to the whole Bible. Some of you have been Christians for years and never read vast sections of the Bible. This little high school kid was getting the whole Bible into his head every time he drove the car. Maybe that's it for you. For me, when I was in college, I knew I never prayed. I just dawned on me. I'm a spiritual leader, and I never pray. 
So I joined this prayer group at my church where you'd sign up for an hour to pray. So someone at the church was praying every 24 hours. I was like, I'm going to sign up for an hour. And mine was like 11 to midnight, Sunday nights. And I remember the first time I did it, I knelt by my bedside because I thought kneeling was more spiritual. And I prayed, you know, for, for my roommates and God to bless our house. And then I prayed for my neighborhood. We'd be a light there. And then I prayed for our school that God would be glorified in it. And then I prayed for all of Texas and then America. And then I prayed for the globe and God's glory and the nations. And I looked at the clock and it had been like three minutes. And I'm like, man, an hour's a long time. And I fell asleep and felt really bad about it. So the next Sunday, I was like, let's try it again. And I remember there was something in the Bible about praying in your closet. And I was like, praying in your closet has got to be spiritual. So I got in my closet. But I was a college kid. And so my closet was filled with a big pile of dirty clothes, which is surprisingly warm and comfortable. So I got in there and I was like, Lord, I just want to, oh, uh uh-oh. And I was like, man. So I realized this may not be spiritual, but I got to walk just to stay conscious. And then I realized I couldn't pray just in my heart because I don't know if you've ever done that. And it just starts becoming like half a song lyric over and over again. You know what I mean? And I was just like, I just can't, I can't do it. I can't focus. So I got to talk out loud. So if you were one of my neighbors, you probably thought I was crazy because you're like, oh, there's the crazy guy. Because 11 o'clock Sunday night, I'd be like, and then he says to me, you know, because I'm just having a conversation with God out loud, walk through the neighborhood, which started to feel a little insane. And so I lived by the high school. And so every Sunday night at 11 o'clock, I would sit up in the bleachers at the high school, not bring any stuff. It wasn't my devotional time. It wasn't where I worked on my Bible study with my church. That was all other times. It was just time to be alone with God under the stars. And I'll be honest with you, and I used to think it was cheesy to say stuff like this. I fell in love with God in that football stadium because I had the space to unearth some deep pain with him. And I watched over time him heal some places in me I thought would always be bent. And some of us, we've just been missing that time, and it's there for you. You just got to create it and fight for it and get help doing that. Find times to steal away. For me now, once a month, I have a day with the Lord. I take a couple people, and we go away someplace, and we spend a day with the Lord. We have a breakfast together, then we split up and read, pray, walk, and then we come back together and have a meal together later and just talk about what God's doing in our lives. And it's really restorative in a way that I can't even add up all the numbers of how meaningful it is, right? I'd encourage you to do that. Steal away for soul restoration, not just distraction. And then I would say prioritize communion. I mentioned this the other night when we were uh, Thursday in temple with a group of guys that for so many young people, I see them, they don't even know how to have connection with other people. And men are the same way. That The drift of culture leads us to isolation. I come home from work. I'm tired. The TV is waiting there to comfort me. And I turn it on till I fall asleep and I repeat. And at the end of the day, no one knows me and I don't know anybody else. And I've not really hit my potential as a person. And I'm not shaming you for watching TV. Sometimes it's fine. But I'm just saying if that's all there is, that's far short And so we have to fight against that drift of isolation as men towards community because as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And I just want to encourage you, you fought the good fight by showing up here. I know a lot of you didn't want to do it. I know some of you probably drove up to this place and were like, maybe I'll just turn around. I think there's some good barbecue over in Lexington. Maybe I'll just make a left. And you just thought about not coming to this, but you showed up. And I want to encourage you to show up and be fully present. Maybe just put the phone away today. Text your wife, make sure she's alive and the kids are safe relatively. And then leave, leave it in the room. And when that experience of discomfort comes, of I don't know what to do, I don't know what to say, where you would instinctively grab a phone, just don't have it with you. 
feel the withdrawal symptoms, get through the shakes, and have a conversation with somebody. I know for me, I have to have a trip on the calendar at some point where I disappear into the wilderness. Big Bend is my place uh, because there's like nobody out there. I remember I had a friend ask one of the park rangers once, how many people in the park today? He's like, including you? Yeah. He's like, six. I'm like, God, that's awesome. Sometimes you just got to get out. Um, But I went out there with a friend and we would drive in the car and we would talk and talk and talk and then the car would go quiet and that's normally when you would pull out a phone. But we just didn't. And what happened was he'd be quiet for a bit and I'd be like, so how are your kids doing? You know, they're good at this, this. We're actually trying to figure this out with one of our daughters. I'm like, how do you figure that out? Because yours is older than mine and I'm about to enter those problems. And we started having a conversation we never had. And we started getting into deeper places and deeper. And it was soul restoring to have that kind of connectivity. I was telling a group of guys about some young people in our ministry that they do this. They set up a dinner on a regular basis and they take their phones and they stack them in the middle of the table and they say whoever grabs their phone has to pay for dinner because they know they're addicted and they're not shamed about it anymore they can laugh about it they just put them there and they'll see the impulse the conversation will die down they'll be like hey, no it's too expensive hey. right? and uh, and it forces them to stay in the moment and what they find in the moment is one of God's greatest gifts to us is us So Jesus was at Martha's house and Martha was running around like crazy. And he said, Martha, you're anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. And it was what Mary was doing, being still with him. And I just encourage you, don't miss that today. I think there's some scheduled time for stillness. And I'd say, take it. You might be surprised at what God wants to whisper to you in the quiet places. It just might restore your soul. Thanks, guys.